Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there, and in case my mom watches this on fbcva.life, uh, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we, are, we have been doing a study through the book of Isaiah. Mark has been walking us through um, this book, and, and last week we came up to chapters 60 to 62, and we looked at those chapters and saw the glorious truth of this, prof- this prophecy of a light that was coming into the world to dispel darkness, and how when Jesus came in that first coming, he comes and he, he reads from Isaiah 61 and says it's fulfilled in your hearing, and he declares himself to be the light of the world, this prophesied light that was to come into the world, the one who was going to proclaim the good news, the one who was going to bring healing, that Jesus Christ, as he walks physically on this earth, declares himself to be that light. And it was a, it was, it's great to reflect on that. This week, we're going we're gonna to go back to this same passage today. And I want, what I want us to see today is, uh, I titled the message, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. And the reason for that is we're going to look at Isaiah 60 to 62, and we're going to see that there is another day coming, another literal day coming where Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth to set up his glorious coming. And, and this day today and his first coming doesn't uh, even compare to the glorious day that is in the future. This day that is coming is, is so much greater, so glorious that we haven't seen anything yet. Uh, this is what I want us to think about today because when we consider today, we consider the world that we live in now, we see beauty in the world. We see God's creation. We see that the light has come, and, and, uh, and we see good and kindness. But there's a cloud over this world, and, and every one of us is not immune from this cloud. And this cloud is suffering. This cloud is a death that is still in this world. This cloud is my body growing old and aging. This cloud is uh, in my older years suffering from a dimension or in my young years being diagnosed with a cancer. This cloud of, of crime and violence, hatred. This cloud of racism in the world, persecution. This cloud of, of danger. This cloud of um, immorality, divorce, abortion. These things that are in the world, there's a There's like we see the beauty in the world and we see the light that the church is, but there's this cloud hanging over it all that is still darkness. And so we we suffer, and because we're Christians, because we're believers, we are not immune to any of these things. We still struggle with the flesh that's within us, and, and so it's an internal struggle as well as without. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean I won't get that phone call that says my company's closing down and I'm out of a job. It doesn't mean that I won't be sitting by my daughter's deathbed and watching her go through that pain. Just because we're Christians, we're not immune from the sufferings of this world, the hardships that are out there. And, and the, the scripture speaks in many ways about this. One of my favorite places um, is Psalm 55. See, Psalm 55, you hear David's heart as he acknowledges the pain of living this life. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. 
And see, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one that has had times in my life where that I have felt exactly like that. Lord, just give me wings to fly away and escape all this. Just, just that I would be away in a wilderness and escape all of this pain, this suffering, the horrors, the fear, the terrors that overwhelm me. And so the Bible acknowledges this truth of living in the sufferings of this present world. And we saw in, in, in Isaiah, we've been seeing that the root of this is something dark within the heart. And biblically, we know that this suffering has entered the world because of the sinful heart of man, that a man that has chosen to seek life in those things other than their creator. They cause this separation from God. And so this separation from God, he calls death. And so death now characterizes the experiences of man. And last week, we looked at this truth, and why is there two comings of Jesus? And the first coming, Jesus came as the light in the world to pay that price for this sin, pay the price for this death issue, to shed his blood as redemption to purchase a people for himself out of that darkness, out of that death, to be able to offer freely because he has now conquered death, to be able to offer to you and me freely life based solely on faith. See, that's what he accomplished in his first coming. And as we've gone through Isaiah, we've seen the judgment of God against the unrighteousness of Israel, against the sin of their hearts. And we see in that ourselves, we see in that our, this world. In Isaiah chapter 5, for example, verse 13, God says, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry. Their multitude is parched with thirst. It's going to starve them. They're going to be thirsty. They're going into exile. Isaiah 39, verses 6 and 7 says this, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon this judgment coming against Israel. They're going to be exiled, carried away, their wealth carried away by the nations, their cities destroyed, their temple destroyed. Destruction was coming. Isaiah 43 says, Therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. The, the Jewish people were going to be reviled and hated. Their children carried away, made servants of another king, their wealth destroyed, their city destroyed, their people destroyed. So as we come today and we look back at Isaiah chapter 60 and 62, we need to keep that context in mind for a very important reason. Because um, in Romans chapter 11, Paul is going to paint a picture for us. And, and, it, and he's saying that Israel's status, what happens, what we're going to see in the book of Isaiah is what's going to happen to Israel says something about you and I, and it says something absolutely unbelievable, incredible even. See, in Romans chapter 11, Paul quotes from some of the Old Testament prophets of destruction. And by the way, he's applying it to the Israel of his day, meaning Israel was still under this judgment of God. 
Um, and, and, and Jesus pronounces this on Israel too. So we see in 70 AD when, when Rome comes in and destroys them again. I mean, they're still destroyed. They're still under this judgment of God. And I would say to this very day, they're under these judgments of God. But Paul says something incredible in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. And this is for us to consider. And this is what I want us to have in our minds today when we look back at Isaiah 60. You ain't seen nothing yet, is what Paul is saying. Listen. He says, so I ask, did they, referring to Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Listen to what he's saying. Israel's destruction, Israel's judgment, the, the reviling, the exiling that happens to Israel benefited the world. The world benefited because of this judgment. It brought riches of mercy and grace and adoption as children to God. It brought riches to the Gentiles. It brought riches to the world. Their judgment did. But here's the key point. How much more then will their full inclusion mean? Here's what Paul wants us to do, do as we go back to Isaiah 60. He wants to, us to consider that if Israel's judgment brought us rich grace, rich mercy, and it did, if you, if you know Christ today, you can acknowledge the incredible grace that we have because of the cross, because of what Jesus did in his first coming, immeasurable riches and blessings that God has given us. What Paul is saying is, compared to what's going to come in the future on Israel's restoration, you ain't seen nothing yet. The riches you have are nothing compared to what's coming. He says further down in verse 15, he says, For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? See, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you compare your current circumstances as a believer in Jesus and the richness of the mercy and grace that you've been given, if you compare that to the glory that's going to be revealed to you when Israel is restored, they don't even compare. It's like comparing death to life. That, we can't even begin to imagine how awesome, how incredible, how glorious this future is that God has in store for his children, for his church, for his saints. It's incredible. And so what, that's the mindset as we go back now, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60. That's the mindset I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 60 because what I want us to see is the incredible restoration of Israel. Now, personally, one of the reasons I, I take this very literally as I read Isaiah 60 to 62 is because when we read it, we're supposed to see the contrast between their judgment and their exile and their destruction and contrast that with their restoration, their glorification, and their beautification. They're made beautiful, we're going to see. Now, and it's the contrast of those things that are supposed to grab our imaginations. It's supposed to amaze us and shock us that God would do this. And so... I read it literally because it has to be the same people that were taken in, in exile that are brought back and restored for that, for that contrast to grab our minds and attentions. And so let's read what Isaiah has to say in Isaiah 60. Starting in verse 4. 
Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Notice the reversal. Their sons and daughters were carried off. Now their sons and daughters are being brought back. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. See, the nations had destroyed them and carried their wealth off. And now the nations are bringing their wealth to Israel, bringing their sons and daughters back to Israel. Verse 10. Foreigners shall build up your walls. It was foreigners that destroyed the walls. Now foreigners are building up your walls, and the king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. This is supposed to blow our minds. Israel was destroyed and their wealth was carried off. Now what's being prophesied is they won't even be able to close the gates to the city because the nations are so continuously bringing them wealth. It's a complete and dramatic reversal of where they had been to what this is prophesying. Verse 14, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you had been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. You know, with the rise in anti-Semitism, even in our days we see the, uh, the anti-Semitism all around the world. The Jews are hated as a people, reviled, despised. This this prophecy is saying that they will be celebrated. They will be called the city of the the Holy One of Israel. They will be um, the ones that people look to to see the glory of God. And that will last forever. It's not a temporary circumstance. When this prophecy comes true, it will last forever and from age to age. Verse 18, violence shall no more be heard in your land devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Chapter 61, verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Verse 6. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Chapter 62, verse 2. The nations shall see your righteousness. I hope you see the contrast to what earlier in Isaiah, the judgments against them because of their, the blood they shed, because of the violence, because of their unrighteousness. Now the nations will see the righteousness displayed. And all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. 
You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Chapter 62, down in verse 11. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So when we go through these those chapters, what should be shocking to us is the com- how total and complete the reversal of Israel's fortunes are. They were unrighteous, they were uh, violent, they were wicked, and they were destroyed, they're exiled, their children are taken away, their wealth is destroyed, their walls are taken down, their temples destroyed, they are, um, they are despised, they're reviled, they're hated. We get to chapter 60, And there's this prophecy of this coming time where they will be called priests of the Lord. The righteousness will come out. People will look at them and see the righteousness of God so much so they'll be called the priests of the Lord, ministers of God, the holy city of the the Lord God himself. And this, I believe, literally is going to happen. It's this future kingdom. It is this future kingdom time that is referred to in scripture, where the Lord Jesus himself comes and he is the king of kings ruling on the throne of David from Jerusalem, restoring Israel and being a light to the world. His glory, his his, uh, healing, his kingdom, his administration going out to the whole earth. This is the coming kingdom. This is our future And why is that important for you and I to study and to think about and to consider? Because as Paul said, that as much as Israel's difference, the change in Israel from forsaken to glorified, gives you and I a picture of the blessings we have right now in Christ's first coming as compared to the blessings that are yet to come. You ain't seen nothing yet. We only have a taste of the glory of God now. We only have a down payment of his Holy Spirit. There is coming a day where the the glory of God is going to be upon us. It's to such an extent we can't even get our minds around how incredible, how awesome that day is coming. What the text said is when that day comes, we will see it as being alive from the dead compared to where we are now. The blessings we have then are so much greater than the blessings now that it's as, it's as great of a difference as Israel's judgment versus their restoration. And so we look at this prof- prophecy of Scripture about Israel, and we see a promise for us, his saints, his believers, his children, that the glory that is awaiting us is just as radically different than what we have now. There is a day coming This is coming to pass. This kingdom is coming. And you ain't seen nothing yet. This kingdom in various points in Scripture that describe this coming kingdom. And there's lots of Scripture about this coming kingdom, by the way. There's not a lot of Scripture or so much Scripture about what happens from the time we die until this resurrected day when the kingdom comes. It's a little bit. There's a little bit of scripture about after this kingdom in a new heaven and new earth, but there is tons of references about this period of time, this new world that is coming. 
this kingdom that is coming. And, and it's supposed to be such a glorious thing in our eyes is that we fix our eyes on this kingdom. It becomes our hope. See, the, the king is going to be physically, literally present in this kingdom. Jesus, just as he ascended with flesh and bones in his glorified, resurrected body, he is, he is going to descend. He is literally, physically going to be present. Literally in Jerusalem reigning as a king in a kingdom on this earth. See, I think too often we have this unbiblical picture of what heaven's going to be like. You know, so we have these cartoonish ideas. We have cartoonish ideas of floating on a cloud, playing a harp, singing hallelujah chorus to, to Jesus and God. And, 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 and those aren't biblical ideas. You know, an idea of I'm going to be holding hands with Jesus and skipping through a field of daisies for all eternity. Well, that's not the picture Scripture paints. The picture that is painted in Scripture is that heaven is coming to this earth. That there is going to be a kingdom established on this earth. That, that, that Garden of Eden-like conditions are going to be restored on this earth. Wildernesses are going to sprout and blossom and be fruitful plains. The, the peace and justice is going to reign in this kingdom. There's going to be a king who is, there's going to be nations, there's going to be roads, there's going to be highways, there's going to be houses, there's going to be cities that we live in and that we work in. All of our experiences in heaven is not going to be identical. You know, the, the, we are a people that are populating a kingdom and glorifying the king of kings, the God of gods. That is the picture of the world that comes. You know, there, there, there's prophecies of celebrating feasts throughout the year. You know, there's going to be parties in this kingdom, and that's, I get excited about that. Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to celebrate that every year. There's going to be food and, and celebrations, parades. You know, it's going to be like apple blossom, but way better. You know, there's going to be just the things that are going on in the kingdom, the joy, the, the celebration the, 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 that is coming to us in this kingdom is incredible to imagine of. It's so much greater than now that we can't even begin to comprehend how awesome it is. And Scripture's calling us to fix our eyes on that. Look forward to that. It's coming. It's really coming. It's neat to consider what will we be like as church-age saints. What will we be like in that kingdom? And one of the passages we go to to look at that is 1 Corinthians 15. And once again, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 is saying, hey, we're, when we, we're, this body is decaying. It's getting old. It's going to die. It's, you know, we're, we get sickness. We get disease. There's, we suffer all these things. But here's the promise. There is a resurrection. And church-age believers, you are going to be resurrected to go into this kingdom that Jesus uh, puts in place. And you are going to administer that kingdom for him. And you are going to do it in this glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 says, when you die, you're perishable, but when you're raised, you are imperishable. You are raised immortal. There's nothing that can hurt you. I, I shared this with a kid last week. He said, you mean I could jump off Mount Everest? Well, yeah, I guess you could jump off Mount Everest. You're, you're imperishable. You're immortal. You're not able to be hurt. When you're, when you're sown, you're sown in dishonor. There's a dishonor. The, the effects of sin is still on this body. When it's raised, it's raised in glory. It's raised glorious. When it dies, this body, it's sown in weakness. This flesh is weak. 
It's fragile. It hurts easily. It, it, it succumbs to, the, to temptation easily. It, it, it's weak. But when it's raised, it's raised in power. You know, I think there's a reason why superhero movies are very popular. You know, there's part of our heart we desire to be powerful, not be restrained by this physical, weak flesh. And that's an exciting thing to think about and a daydream about. Well, here's Scripture saying when Jesus resurrects you, you are resurrected in power. You shed the weakness of this flesh behind. It's the old thing. You're raised immortal. You're raised glorious. You're raised in power. It also says you're raised spiritual. You're raised spiritual. There's a fully spiritual element that we don't even understand yet, that, that we are raised in a spiritual body, but still with flesh and blood and bones. Verse 49 says, right now we are image, we are made and born in the image of the man of dust. But when we're resurrected, we, are, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. The first John says that when we see him, we shall be like him. That we have, there is a day coming where we are literally resurrected and we go into this literal kingdom with a literal king sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ himself, glorious. And you and I, what we are looking forward to is we are raised glorious with no baggage of sin, with no baggage of weakness, with no baggage of being fragile, but we are raised powerful, glorious, spiritual people of heaven to serve this king of kings sitting on this throne. And we, the thing that in this life, our sin restrains us from being fully ready to serve our God, even as much as we would want to, we struggle and we suffer with that. We are liberated from that in the new body. There will be nothing restraining. I will want to serve this king with my entire being because he is my God. He is my creator. He is the Lord. And I am full of power to be able to serve him like this. That is our future. This is the kingdom that waits for us. This is the glory that waits for us. And it's exciting and it should captivate our imaginations. God, bring your kingdom. Bring your kingdom. Bring heaven to earth. Come, Lord, come soon. I can't wait for this day. Why? What's the purpose of all of this? And by the way, before I talk about that, if you are, I have to say this, if you are an unbeliever, if you have never put your faith in Christ, and you're hearing this maybe even for the first time, or maybe you've heard it your whole life. See, you don't get to experience this resurrection. I mean, this is the glorious life that is only available through faith in Christ. See, there's another resurrection after this kingdom age, and that resurrection is to go stand before this God on a white throne, and he will judge you based on your works, how good you've lived your life. Let me beg with you and plead with you. Consider that. There is not one of us here that wants to stand before the creator of the universe and be, be judged based on our own works. You don't want to be at that judgment. You do not want to be at that resurrection. 
Jesus Christ in his first coming, he came so that he would pay the price for that sin issue that separates you from God so that he could offer you this life I'm talking about freely. It costs you nothing to enter into this kingdom, into his joy. He says, believe in me. Stop trusting your own work. Stop trusting your own life, what you do. Trust that he has done it for you and he is able to give you this life. He's able to give you this abundant joy that is waiting for you. And if, so if you've never heard that, I beg you today, put your trust in the Lord. Today, consider this, this life that he offers you. And if you believe it, it's yours. The Bible says if you believe it, it is yours. This eternal life is given to you. And this future I'm talking about, this glorious resurrection into a glorious kingdom is yours freely. And when we get there, it will be the amazing grace of God that we praise because he has brought me into this, this situation I didn't deserve. The glorious future awaiting us. Why? Back to Isaiah chapter 60. What's the purpose of all of this and this kingdom and restoration of Israel and Jerusalem and this king coming? Well, why is he bringing all the wealth to the nations? Well, chapter 60, verse 6 says, they're bring, they're, this bringing the wealth of the nations is bringing good news, the praises of the Lord. They are bringing their wealth not to Israel to glorify Israel. They're doing it because God is present there. Jesus Christ has made this his home, and so they're bringing their wealth to sing the praises of the Lord. Verse 7 says this wealth is coming and, and Jesus is going to use it to beautify his beautiful house. See, in Jesus' first coming, it says he didn't have a pillow to lay his head on. But see, in this kingdom, he's going to have a glorious, beautiful house. His sanctuary will be incredible. And the nations will help to build that. Verse 9 says that they're bringing all of this for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel. He's getting the glory. Verse 13, he's using it to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. See, the feet of Jesus are gonna, is going to walk on this earth again, and he's going to be walking there in Jerusalem, and he's going to have a glorious kingdom. The seat of government will go out from there, and it will be glorious. And that glory will cause the world and the nations to sing the praises of Jesus Christ because he has done it. He has brought it to pass. Verse 15 says, You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Verse 21 says, He's doing all this that he might be glorified. See, we have an incredible future. You ain't seen nothing yet. You only have a down payment, a taste of what is to come. And what is to come is so much greater than what we have now that in order to wrap our heads around it, we got to picture the difference between Israel being destroyed and this picture in Isaiah 60 and 61 of Israel being glorified. That's how great the difference is for you and I. Wow, what a future. What a day that we can look forward to, that we, can, that we would be people that would love that day, love his appearing, look forward to this king that is coming. Lord, bring your kingdom. 
Now, in, in the New Testament epistles, there's oft, many times where this kingdom is referred to or this day of the coming Jesus is referred to. And, and I would submit to you that there's, in the context of every time that the end times are brought into, uh, into uh, the passage, every time, it's always being done for one of three reasons and sometimes all three of these reasons. One of the reasons that we're, we're told about this future kingdom, this glory that has come, one of them is to, be, to encourage us to be people that would forsake our flesh, forsake sin. Because there is this glorious future coming. I don't need to be tangled up in seeking after my own fleshly desires. I don't need to seek after the pleasure or the joy that a temporary sin will bring, that will only bring death. It will give me courage to set that aside because there is a glorious future coming. I haven't seen anything yet. And it can give me strength and courage to forsake that. And the flip side of that same coin often in those contexts, it, it, you, it tells us that to encourage us to be people who love others. Because I don't need to worry about myself anymore. I don't need to be all taking care of me and caring about how much I have and how much uh, you know, I take care of me. I, I don't have to worry about me because God is going to resurrect me. I'm going to be glorified, powerful, a spiritual person on that day. I don't need to worry about me anymore. And that sets me free to love you. That sets me free to take care of others, to look to their suffering, look at the needs that they have, share the gospel with the world because it's in darkness and needs to hear of this hope and what Christ has accomplished for them. Even if it brings me some pain, that's okay because there is coming a day where Jesus will make all things right. My pain will be done away with. I will be in glory with him. The third reason, and this is the one I want to look at a little more closely. The third reason in those contexts is a call for us, the church, to endure, to keep holding on because life is hard. Life is miserable sometimes. There's things that can come into our lives and wreck us. And in Scripture, when it talks about this coming future, it's telling us that because we fix our eyes on this glory that is coming, we can, we can endure the pain, endure the suffering, endure the hardships. We keep on holding on because you ain't seen nothing yet. There's a glorious future coming. And I can set my eyes on that enduring this day. An example of that is in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not that these sufferings aren't hard. It's not that my heart won't break when I lose my spouse. It's that when I put that suffering in the context of the glory that's coming, of the king who's going to make all things right, that's going to rule in justice, who's going to bring this peace, who's going to uh, glorify my body, heal all sickness, heal all disease, when I compare it to that glorious future, the suffering I can endure. It can carry me through that day. Further on, Paul says in that same passage, he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eager, wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
We're waiting eagerly for that day, for this body that I can finally be done with this weak, natural, fleshly, earthly body. And I can eagerly look forward to and await the redemption of it. There is a glory coming. And I can endure my sufferings because of it. Second Corinthians, Paul says something very similar. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Why is it that we can look at the hardships of our life and say, you know what? This is light momentary affliction. How can I look at my, how can I look at these situations and call them light momentary affliction? I can only do that when I fix my eyes on the glory that is coming. The restoration of all things when Jesus makes all things right. And that's literally a day coming where this happens. And I fix my eyes on that. And because I fix my eyes on that, I can be carried through. I can be strengthened. I can endure these light momentary afflictions of life. And so let's be people of the kingdom. Fix your eyes on the glory. Set your minds on this kingdom that is to come, on this king who is coming to rule in perfect justice. Because we are his saints that will be resurrected in power, in glory, in honor. To bring praises to this king, to bring glory to this king, to cause his name to be lifted high. And so that's our call this morning. Fix our eyes. You ain't seen nothing yet. This life will seem like a distant memory on that day the glory that awaits us. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this promise. Lord, I thank you that we have this day to look forward to the hope. You are the God of hope. And as we fix our eyes on you, Lord, that is the one that gives us this hope because your word is to be trusted. Lord, that you can give us strength to endure. You can give us victory in this current time that we live in. So Father, I pray that we would be the church, that we would be a light to the world now, that we would bring your name glory then on that day when it comes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.